Good evening. Do not welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for today, Wednesday, January the 25th, because today is National Opposite Day. So just like Bizarro, take the opposite of everything I just said. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and we're very happy to have you here for our weekly news collection and a um, little bit of snark. You know how it goes. Uh, joining me this week is my friend and co-host, Mr. Gerard Cavalinas. Gerard, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me back. I wish it was in sunny California, but uh, I'm here in PA, and I'll take it. I'll take the ice, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, the uh, the nice thing about that is is that we have some of the coolest stories out there. And uh, if you are uh, watching this, uh, don't forget that it's National Irish Coffee Day. And you're probably asking yourself, is that Irish coffee? Well, you'll never know. Ooh, I like a good Irish coffee, so I'll take that. Let's get started with our first story. Um, it involves Intel, uh, one of the, the frequent um, story focuses here on the rundown. Uh, they've decided to put one of their immersion cooling plants in Hillsboro, Oregon on ice. The 200,000 square foot facility uh, closing is seen as a cost cutting measure for Intel because the revenues from the chip market uh, have continued to chill out just a little bit. Immersion cooling has been seen as a way to combat rising heat levels in the CPUs and GPUs that are being manufactured with billions of transistors. And Intel was trying to rush ahead to take the lead in the market and create some of those currently non-existing standards that would rely on some of the things coming out of their facilities. Gerard, is this move by Intel going to freeze the market for these solutions, or should we all just take a chill pill? I mean, honestly, I think it's I think we shall take a chill pill, right? Because when they initially opened that, they they dumped, I think it was a little over seven hundred million into just research and development. And it was nice to see a technology like immersion cooling, which still has which was I don't like to say it's an older cool an older technology, but it's one that's kind of making its way back in a newer setting, if that makes sense. Um, you know, they were working on that with having a lot of newer innovations and designs, but no, I don't think it's going to hurt them in any way. I think what really it boils down to is the fact that, you know, with all of their different technology departments and they're growing different areas and aspects, I mean, they're, they, they have a few different, you know, viable options and different avenues. They don't really need to worry too much about it, in my opinion, anyway. So speaking of things that are, you know, going to be there and available to us, I had, I had a question for you, you know, one thing that's always available to us, well, should be, is our passwords. But I noticed that most recently, the GoTo hack, uh, seen both attackers and some attack groups gather customer backups in their encryption key. Um, and it's not been good, especially in the last pass has been focused and had that breach. You know, my, my organization is facing it as well. And I think a lot of organizations are trying to, you know, kind of move off of it. So I want to ask you, what's the outcome here for GoTo? You know, you think they're going to end up gone? Uh, man, I don't know what's going to happen here because this is one of those stories that the more you keep trying to uh, get to the middle of it, the more layers that you keep finding. And uh, for those of you who don't remember the, the coverage that we had about it la early last or late last year, actually, um, LastPass was where we had focused on it because, oh, you know, they had a shared storage medium with the other companies under this holding company and someone had lifted the password vaults and we're like, oh, that's bad. And then this week, we find out GoTo actually not only had encrypted uh, customer backups stolen, you wouldn't think that's a bad idea, right? Well, somehow they made off with the encryption keys, or at least one of them. So now a lot of people are starting to sweat it. But here's the other problem, because they were talking to some security researchers, and the security researcher said, well, as long as the customer encryption keys are the ones that they were using, that shouldn't be bad. You know, anyone who's used any kind of asymmetric encryption, public-private cryptography knows that. But what if they were using a symmetric key? to encrypt all of this stuff. What if rather than using customer encryption keys, some of them were using some kind of a default setting and one encryption key? It's bad practice, don't get me wrong. That would be horrible, but I'm not saying that it didn't happen. 
So this could potentially be a problem for GoTo. And it's one of those reasons why I think that a lot of this drive that we've been seeing from companies to kind of create the synergy where, oh, well, we're going to reduce our operational costs by co-locating everything into the same storage media and using the same transmission things and, and that kind of thing has a potential for creating massive problems. Because if LastPass and GoTo, uh, log me in if you're old like me, were two separate companies, they would have two separate attack surfaces. And in this particular case, GoTo was actually the company that got hacked. The attack surface was shared between the two. So the, the attackers probably got in and stole everything that wasn't nailed down and then tried to figure out later what they got. And as GoTo and uh, LastPass and the rest of their teams are trying to go back through it, they realize something very critical. Um, yeah, when that happens, you don't know what they ended up with until you figured out exactly what was open and available. And that was actually the reporting on this story from the link story that we put in, in the notes. Um, first, they said that some customer data was stolen. Then they said the encrypted backups were stolen. And then later they said, oh, and by the way, there might've been an encryption key too. So it's like every time you kind of turn a corner, you're like, oh crap, there's more to this and, and I hate it. So I, I hope this doesn't mean the end of GoTo, but I, I guarantee you that the, <laughs> there's definitely some teams that are gonna get um, reduced because of this, and there's going to be a lot of free credit monitoring that comes out of it, or whatever the business backup equivalent of that is. Oh, yeah, and if I just chime in real quick, I mean, that's that's the crazy part, right, is when you have breaches of that nature, you know, you can't ever go back from it. I mean, that's my take. I mean, everybody's gonna have a different opinion. That's fine. I just feel like that's why, you know, a lot of these bigger or, or newer up and coming password solutions like Keeper Security and a few different other ones, they're offering a little bit more on the, you know, the guaranteed like the lock side, you know, like we want to go ahead and we want, we want to be more proactive in assuring that none of your data and your passwords are breached. And, it's, and it stinks, you know, because I feel that um, especially depending on types of environments could be in a healthcare environment or, you know, in law or anything of, of a large variety, you know, you have a lot of important data in there and you don't know. So, uh I mean, hopefully they'll, they, they, they do manage to get on the mend. I don't see it. And, you know, I, I agree with you. So free credit monitoring will be coming out of it. <laughs> yeah, I'll be looking for my email, I'm sure. So um, if you're one of those people who's managing your log files with the Realize Log Insight Manager, um, you're probably going to need to schedule yourself a patch window. Uh, that's because there was a, an announcement this week of a couple of new CVEs, you know, our, our favorite three-letter acronym. Uh, these both rated 9.8 on the scary meter. Uh, one is a directory traversal bug. The other one is an access control exploit. You know, some of our favorite good old fashioned hacking tools. Uh, VMware says that if you update your installation to 8.10.2, that that should close those two, along with two other slightly more minor bugs that rated around the seven and the five on the scale. But my question to you, Gerard, is how soon do you think people should be getting this done? ASAP. And I don't know, I'm always going to say it's the security in me, but it's definitely imperative to get that done as soon as possible. And I think it's interesting, too, recently with the amount of vulnerabilities that VMware's seen in the last few months. It's been interesting. It's been a little higher than normal. Um, a ton of different CVEs. You know, we saw some in our environment as well. But the way it currently stands is that no attackers or attack groups have found it or exploited it, which is great, right? So that allows us as professionals to be proactive and stay ahead. But I think it's better with VMware utilizing uh, the program. It's vRealize Login Site. That's going to patch all points of entry. But then there's also workaround instructions. If for whatever reason, you know, you have a production cluster or you have something that can't be upgraded necessarily right away. So if you do have to wait, you know, two weeks, three weeks, or two and a half weeks, something along those lines, you still have a workaround to set in place, which I think is great. Uh, it's always imperative with the CVEs. You know, you want to make sure that you're patched at every level, especially now. Like I said, depending on your type of environment, you don't want to be exploited. You don't want to see something that's 
gonna you know potentially you know take everything down um and i think it's been crazy you know uh, a lot of these newer features and a lot of these newer bugs i think vmware used to in my opinion they used to be a lot more proactive in catching them a little sooner but i think just as things like anything right as it grows there's more human error and you're starting to see a little more of them come through so we definitely got to be more uh attentive and astute and making sure a lot of those are getting taken care of so that's going to be that's going to be interesting to hopefully hopefully see if there's anything else that comes out from that hopefully the next stories aren't going to be any attacks um but speaking of things that are are new and 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 kind of consisting it was reported last week uh microsoft decided to invest multiple millions of dollars in the chat gpt which i'm still trying to like kind of i've been hearing about it a lot but i haven't had two seconds to really dive into what it is uh it's the ai system for writing term papers performance reviews so it kind of sounds like uh dictation software if i was taking it but microsoft i guess had already invested one billion into the platform and they've added more more cash to open ai which is the parent company that runs chat gpt uh, the investment is going to be up to $10 billion, and it comes amid rumors that it will start offering a professional tier subscription that costs around about $42 a month, and I guess it'll provide faster, more stable responses, access to new features. A lot of the bells and whistles you're not going to get with the free tier. So I guess my question is here is there's, there's no word on it yet, you know, whether they mount secretly the answer to life, but what do you think, Tom? Do you think that that this is the answer to life, the universe, everything? What's your take on ChatGPT? Well, you know, I think that you probably uh, don't need to worry about anything when it comes to what ChatGPT is trying to do to take over the world. Uh, I, this is the thing. We know that these systems need investment to, to live. And, and for everyone out there who has been using ChatGPT to write performance reviews, to do code checking, to do all these things, do, do you remember the old adage that if the product is free, it's not a product you are? You are not the customer? What do you think you've been doing with ChatGPT all of this time? I'll give you a hint. You've been training it. Um, I actually, I got an email from Amazon the other day, and they wanted me to go in, and, uh, and they gamified it, but they wanted me to answer some of the questions that their speakers get asked that it can't answer. And, oh, my God, some of these things were a little bit ridiculous. And that was a system where all it's doing is giving you the prompt and having a person read through it and check it out. This is completely automated. This is something that is procedurally generated. And I think it's interesting that, you know, the things have been getting better as we go along, which I think is important. But ultimately, the problem is, what's the end goal here? And I think that with the announcement, or at least the rumor, that there's going to be a pro tier, we see what the end goal is. So everybody remembers when Dolly was the hot, cool thing, right? And you could compile it yourself and run it on things. You could install it in a cloud instance, or you could use some of these um, demo tiers. And the demo tiers were always locked out because they had a limit of the number of connections they could have and all this other stuff. So what do you think is going to happen when ChatGPT starts offering this, you know, 40-ish, 50-ish dollar a month tier per user for people? those people get to jump right to the front of the queue and they get to do whatever they want with it. You know, they, they can type in certain things, maybe things now that you add to chat GPT that it kicks it back and says, I can't do anything with that prompt or I'm not allowed to answer that $40 a month. I can answer anything you want. And so what ends up happening is, is that the access is going to start slowly being curtailed for people who are not paying. Now it becomes a product. And more importantly, now it becomes a product that can be licensed and integrated into other things. And I know what you're probably sitting here saying, oh, well, you know, open AI, they're going to keep it open forever. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Just like Linux is an open kernel. And if you want to run it on anything, you have to use some form of proprietary software from a lot of different companies, whether it's graphics card drivers, wind modem drivers. Yeah, I'm that old. 
or even just wrapping it around a distribution to get support or something like that. The value to Microsoft in ChatGPT is not in ChatGPT. The value is in what ChatGPT and OpenAI can deliver back to Microsoft for some of their AI learning models. And if that also happens to come with a monthly payment from pro users, I don't think Microsoft is going to turn that down. Given the fact that they were willing to invest $10 billion into this platform after they reduced 10,000 jobs tells me that there is a longer timeline for what we're going to see out of ChatGPT, and it's not just writing your kids' homework. Yeah. I'll be honest, I'm always weary of any type of AI-based software like that. I'm going to go too into it, but I've just always been because I've never, like, I remember back with Dragon, had their Dragon Dictation software, you know, like 2007, that was kind of when my first real hands-on, like, seeing it. I just, I'm always weary, right? Because, again, it's a, maybe it's a security professional, be like, where's the data go? Whereas you have to watch what you say, you know, I've caught people in, in like, the healthcare space trying to use it. It's like, you can't do that, you know, because, again, you can't dictate certain pieces of information. So I always watch with that. I think ChatGPT definitely is going to have a bigger future. Uh, it is, though. I'm not, I, I, would, I would assure you that they're not going to turn away, like you said, they're not going to turn away a profit. It's only going to help them. It's all cream on the top for them. So definitely going to be interesting. So we had a bigger story that we wanted to take a look at this week because it could have some massive impacts on the tech sector going forward. And that's because the U.S. Department of Justice has joined with eight U.S. states to take on Google's advertising platform. In a filing this week, they announced a lawsuit that claims that Google has a dominant position in the ad market and that it affords them the opportunity to monopolize and eliminate the competition. Per U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, Google, one, controls the technology that is used to display ads, two, controls the tools that are used to buy that ad space, and three, controls the ad exchange that matches the advertisers to the publishers. That sounds like a monopoly to me. So what does the government want out of all of this? Well, they want Google to divest their ad management business from the rest of the company. Now, I don't know about you, but that could be a problem because did you know that Google has somewhat of their, almost 80% of their revenue comes from advertising? I bet you knew it was high, but I didn't think you thought it was that high. The enterprise angle that we have here, because this is what we're all about on the rundown is enterprise technology. What is Google going to be forced to do if suddenly they have to take a massive hit in their ad revenue? Think about all of those offerings that they have now that are either free or offered at a substantially reduced cost because they're underwritten by a massive advertising juggernaut. Gerard, I know that you know we've we've used Google services before. We have um, you know done a lot of work with or around Google. And we've always kind of said, you know, oh, yeah, we know that Google's an ad machine and it's going to sell us ads. But if the Department of Justice forces them to break off this advertising business, what could that mean? I feel personally it's going to cripple a big, maybe not in a, in a catastrophic way, but it is going to cripple a, a small section of, of their business. Because keep in mind, as you mentioned, you know, 80% of that's Google's revenue. And another thing, too, that I had noticed, you know, kind of learning about it is that so Facebook's parent company seen a lot of its market share decline, right, over like the online advertising market. And a lot of that is cooling off because a lot of advertisers, what they do is they'll clamp down on spending and they, they're getting ready. So what's happening here is that they've made it abundantly clear that if they try to go through with this, this is going to hurt them in every way. You know, it's, it's a flawed because it's a flawed argument it's going to slow their innovation they're going to have to raise their advertising fees and that's going to be even harder which i think is having a, a small business myself that's going to make it harder for thousands or even millions of small businesses and publishers to grow right because they'll utilize a lot of that advertising if they take that away that's going to hurt them right because that's just kind of a free way to do that now as of right now 
I think there's about eight states, potentially nine, but there's eight that included it. Um, the states that I've noted were California, Virginia, Connecticut, Colorado, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, and Tennessee. So I feel if more kind of get on that bandwagon and they're looking to you know do that, I think they're going to have to push it through. But it is going to hurt them in a, in a way. You know what I mean? It is. And it doesn't it doesn't help that. Another you know statistic that I had noticed is a lot of these people that are utilizing Google, that platform for the advertising, they're getting 30, 50% on that for each ad. So what that is, it's almost like a massive tax, uh, excuse me, a massive tax on free internet and the consumers at large. So they're not going to really have to worry too much about, you know, that free press. They're not going to have to worry a whole lot about, well, what if I see my ad or what if I'm going to see that or, or am I going to have the same visibility, but it is going to hurt them. Um, so I would definitely, I pray that something like that doesn't happen, but you know, you can never tell what's going to happen day to day, especially in a suit like that. What do you, what's your take on it? So I think there's two interesting angles to take here. The first one is that the amount of money that Google makes on ads, not only helps subsidize some of their services, but it also drives an entire business model tier. And you don't have to go any further than YouTube to find that out. How many of the people that you follow on platforms like YouTube are entirely supported by advertising revenue? The answer is probably a lot higher than you think. Sure, they may have sponsored ad reads that they do and things like that, but there's a lot of things that happen in content creation that are solely driven by the way that Google does advertising. For example, fun one I found out the other day. Do you know why most of your favorite YouTube videos are around 20 minutes long? Because 20 minutes is the magical length that allows you to do another ad insert in the middle of your video. So you get twice the revenue out of it. Anything less than that, you don't get it. And so a lot of people are, are shifting the way that they create content specifically to address that market. And if that goes away or even gets reduced because now Google is not the, the brains behind the operation or it's not tightly integrated into Google, that could spell disaster, maybe isn't even a strong enough word for the way that all that happens. But the other thing I want to do is I want to flip this on its head because we've already been here before with a big tech company that reportedly had an uncompetitive advantage and the Department of Justice suing them to try to break them up. You may remember if you're old enough that that was Microsoft in the 90s when we were fighting about whether or not having your office suite and your internet browser installed on your operating system was a competitive advantage that allowed you to monopolize the market. And companies like Netscape would argue that that was completely unfair. Fast forward to today, Microsoft isn't the tech giant that they used to be because the way that technology works evolved around them. Netscape doesn't even exist anymore. If it does, it's a brand name that's being held by a company somewhere. The, the legacy lives on. Google did transform the internet. We, that, there's no denying that. Between search and advertising, they've created something different than what we expected it to be back in the early 90s when Microsoft was being sued. The question is, if we're forced to change it, what does that mean? And how does Google get out of this? Do they agree to put more controls in place that kind of build a, a firewall between the advertising business and the rest of the organization? Do they um, basically kind of spin it out into its own little contained unit in Alphabet that doesn't report up the chain to anybody else? Because that's essentially what Microsoft did. They agreed to build a, a, a bigger wall between application and operating system and uh, prevent some of these little programming tricks that happen. And they were able to survive without being broken up by antitrust. Because I remember seeing the news articles coming out back then that this was going to be the end of computers if Microsoft was forced to split into two companies. And they managed to definitely avoid that. 
ultimately, I think what's going to happen is kind of the flap that we saw at the beginning of last year when Google decided to get rid of their free Gmail tier for business for you know people who were kind of grandfathered in on the platform after 10 years, they said enough is enough, we need the money. Well, once this happens, if the Department of Justice is able to successfully argue that the ad business needs to be spun off into you know something outside of Alphabet, then we're gonna have a massive problem because then Google's gonna say, okay, if you wanna run a service inside of Google, you're gonna have to pay for it. Could you imagine paying for Gmail, paying for Google Reader, rest in peace, um, and any of the other stuff that we rely on on a daily basis? Um, and some of you are probably snickering to yourself like, oh, I already pay for Gmail. Yeah, double the price. Because whatever you're paying is gonna go way up to be able to afford it. And you're probably thinking, well, I can just move everything to a different instance. Yeah, well, do you think Google's gonna let you get out for free or do you think they're gonna charge you to exfiltrate all of that data out of Gmail? I, I, I can't understate this enough. Google losing a chunk of 80% of their revenue is going to turn them into some very creative accounting people. Oh yeah, they have to find a way to mark it up and make it up somewhere. If you're losing it, that that's that's a hurt piece in itself. Okay, well, we're gonna have to make it up on the back end and this is how, through everything you just said. So, <laughs> Yeah, and, and this is a government case. So we're probably gonna be reporting on this on the rundown for the next three years because the government doesn't move quickly and they want to be as thorough as possible. But we like being as thorough as possible here on the rundown as well. And we have some stuff coming up that I definitely wanted to let you guys know about because we have some exciting things going on today. Like literally today, we have uh, Cloud Field Day 16, which is taking place in Silicon Valley. Stephen Foskett is out there with a group of uh, our delegates as well as some great companies. If you want to learn more about them, head over to techfieldday.com like right now because they're presenting right now. Um, there's a great lineup of presenters and some other cool stuff. Uh, in two weeks, um, yeah, it's in two weeks now. Um, I will actually be at Cisco Live in Amsterdam, Cisco Live in Maya. We're very happy to fly out there with uh, Cisco. We're going to be uh, hearing some of the great things about their uh, Meraki solutions, some of their IoT deployment, security, um, maybe even some data center. Um, of course, that's going to be happening in Barcelona time. So you can watch live if you want, uh, set your alarms extra early to get up for that. Or you can totally check out the recordings, which will be posted to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash techfieldday. But that's not the only thing we've got coming up. So in later in February, Stephen will be back in Silicon Valley for Edge Field Day. It's the very first field day focused on edge computing, edge networking, all of the cool stuff that's taking over the industry right now. If you want to get a look at who the companies that are going to be presenting there are, head over to the website techfieldday.com. And then in March, Tech Field Day 27 will be here. And you're like, oh, cool, you guys, have you're going to have another Tech Field Day. But this one has a focus on CXL, Compute Express Link, a hot, awesome technology that we've been talking a lot about, um, not only on the rundown, but also on the Utilizing CXL podcast. So if you want to tune in for that, make sure you uh, you check that out, because I'm sure that a lot of the companies that are presenting at Utilizing CXL, or that are part of Utilizing CXL will be presenting at Tech Field Day, especially during the CXL day. Uh, Gerard, if people want to check out a couple of the things that you've been working on, where can they go to learn that? Can they go to learn that? They can always find me at TechHouse570 on my website, on Twitter. I'm at GCavalinas on LinkedIn and at Gestalt IT. I have a ton of stuff there, a lot of stuff that I've published for my legendary, fun tech field day adventures and, you know, all the other stuff I get to do. So I'm, I'm everywhere. 
Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. And you can always find us here on Wednesdays around 1230 Eastern time. If you want to check us out on our YouTube channel, like I mentioned, it's uh, youtube.com slash gestalt IT video. You can also subscribe to us in your favorite podcast application so that you can listen to us on the go, on the run, whatever you want to do, however you can consume, consume your news. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Gestalt IT. But until next week, thank you all very much for tuning in. We, uh, we love being able to bring you the news and we hope to have some more great stories for you next week. Until then, take care and we'll see you soon.